this is Leah, and welcome to this week's Hashtag For Paris podcast. It is wonderful that you could join us for this week's teaching. I'll explain a little bit more about who we are at the end, but for now, let's jump right in. I'm going to bring up a bit of a controversial topic uh, to start this message. Uh, I'm wondering how we feel about roundabouts on the road. wonder if you've ever thought about it. it. Over the last few years, we've seen a bunch of them pop up in the town of Paris. And, you know, sometimes people can get uh, pretty opinionated about them. Uh, for most of us, maybe we, we could care less one way or another. Um, I, in general, I can tell you that uh, I, I like roundabouts. I think they, they can help us get around in, in certain situations. But there was one instance in my life where I was definitely not a fan. And I had the opportunity to travel to France, and we got to drive in the famous Arc de Triomphe roundabout. If you're not familiar, it's uh, basically 12 roads that converge on this roundabout. And in theory, there are also 12 lanes inside the roundabout, except there's no painted lanes. It's kind of just a free-for-all, everyone going around in a circle. And... In that instance, I was definitely a, a hater of, of roundabouts. Thankfully, I wasn't, I wasn't driving, but it was a little bit hectic. We kind of circled around probably four or five times before we actually got to the exit that we needed to take. And I think I bring not all that up because I think that sometimes I, I feel like that, like I felt when I was in that roundabout. I feel that stress, that, that hectic energy in my life. And, you know, I don't know what to do with it. Sometimes I just wish that I had a straight path to follow instead of feeling like I'm going around and around in circles. And I think that that's a, a common experience that, that many of us had. I want to talk about that a little bit today. Because I think that one of the things that we find in Scripture, uh, recurring theme is that um, God gives us a, a number of, of promises in Scripture. He, he promises us eternity with Him. He promises His, his Holy Spirit to, to help us. He promises comfort. And He also promises to, to help us when we're stressed. He promises to help us when we feel like I was feeling when I was in that roundabout. And I want to turn to a passage of scripture today in, in John chapter 14, verses 1 to 6, where Jesus lays out a direct path for us, a path to try and take away some of that nervousness and stress of, of navigating in a circle. He tries to give us a direct path, and in fact, he makes four promises to us in this passage. He's speaking to his, his followers, uh, his disciples at the time, who themselves are, are pretty stressed out because Jesus had just announced that his, he was going to depart. He had just told them that basically he was going to be leaving and they wouldn't be able to follow him until much later. And so this had kind of stirred them up because they had spent so much of their lives dedicated to him in the last little while. So let, let's jump in and read together in John chapter 14, verses 1 to 6. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? 
And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, I mentioned there are four promises that Jesus makes in this passage. So I kind of, I want to pull those out one by one and, and take a closer look. The first promise is, is right away in verse one. The disciples were, were upset at this news that, that Jesus was going to be leaving. The, the disciples, they had left uh, families, livelihoods in order to, to follow him and dedicate their time solely to being with him 24-7. And now he was going to leave. They didn't know where he was going to be going. They wouldn't be able to be with him until much later, they were told. So they were stressed out. They were starting to kind of get worried, frustrated. So Jesus looked at them in verse 1 and he said, Do not let your hearts be troubled. The word troubled literally meaning to be stirred up. Now, the, it's interesting if you look at the original language that this passage was written in, the verb tense literally means to stop letting your hearts be troubled, which tells us that the disciples were, were already starting to fall apart. They were already feeling troubled and, and stressed out. And so what Jesus does is he offers his peace to them. Just as he offers his peace to us, to, to anyone who will give him first place in their lives. In the second half of the verse, Jesus makes his claim to deity and he says, You believe in God, believe also in me. He's saying something, something to the effect of, You trust in God already who is invisible. Now it's time to trust in me, even though I will be leaving you for a short time. I think what this first verse tells us is that Jesus promises us rest, but the only way to find rest during restless times is to trust in him, even when he's not visible to us. And the second promise that Jesus makes comes right away now in verse 2. And it's that for those who, who know Jesus, death is not an eerie journey to an unknown destination. We're assured that there is, is a place where, where all wrongs are righted, where all imbalances will be balanced, and where confusing roads will be straightened out for us. We take a look at verse 2. He says, My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? Now again, in, in Greek, the, the language that this passage was originally recorded in, the word for, for rooms, that word relates to our words which mean abide or remain. It refers to a permanent room, a permanent habitation. Now our place here where we are now won't last. But if you have a room reservation with Jesus, 
in heaven, you're headed to a place which is everlasting. It's forever. Jesus says he's going to prepare, meaning that he's going to make a place ready for us there. Now that word prepare was also used of someone who was opening their home for for hospitality, perhaps by preparing a huge banquet. And so when Jesus said he was going ahead to prepare a place, he was drawing on a a very familiar image to to his disciples. So you see, in those days, it it was customary for for travelers to send someone in, in advance to make lodging reservations and preparations for them in in the town or the city where they were going. They didn't have an app for that on their phones, so they would send someone ahead to make preparations. That's what happened actually on the, the night of the Last Supper. If you read that passage in scripture, when Jesus sent two of his disciples ahead to make preparations for the Passover. Now Jesus is saying that that's what he's doing for us. There is a reserved place, a place of rest, if we connect that back to the first verse, for those who will receive him. He was leaving his disciples to get this place ready for them and for us. Now in verse 3, we have an, an interesting promise, a promise from Jesus that he will return. Notice how he calms his followers when he says in verse 3, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Jesus repeats this truth from verse 2 that he's going to prepare a place for them. He's saying something like, I'm not just going to show you the way to the place that I've prepared, or just maybe give you a map on how to get there. I promise to come back and take you to that place so that we can be there together forever. And then you'll finally be home. Jesus coming back is meant to serve as as a comfort. It was meant to be a comfort to his disciples, and it's meant to be that to us. The one who said, I go, is the same one who is saying, I will come back again. We often, I use that with my kids, you know, when, um, when their mother is, my wife is, is leaving to, to go to work or to go somewhere else. And my kids are upset that she's going away. You know, I have to, to promise them to say, no, mommy is, is going to come back. Mommy's coming back. And that's a comfort to them. It's kind of the same thing that Jesus is doing here. He's promising that he will come back again. And he says, I will come back. And he says, I will take you to be with me. Notice how the focus shifts from going to a place to going to a person. From the place where we are going to the person that we will be there with. He's taking us to be with him. Jesus himself will come back and personally take us to himself. He says that you also may be where I am. Now the word you there is plural. That means that we will have a glorious reunion with the Lord and also with the Lord's people. Now I find helpful in in this passage and in 
some other passages in, in Jesus' teachings and in Scripture have some knowledge of, of Jewish wedding customs. I think that can help us appreciate even more this, this promise that Jesus is making to return. Ancient weddings didn't always have a, a, a celebration that went exactly the same way in every case, but different communities might have slightly different variations. And there's a, a good amount of scholarship and archaeology that suggests that uh, there's some fascinating customs from Galilee, which is where Jesus lived and largely did his ministry. And I think we can get some insight from some of those customs. Because Jesus relied on wedding customs in much of his teachings. If you think about the parable of the wedding feast in Matthew 22, or the parable of the virgins and their lamps in Matthew 25. So it makes sense that Jesus' return and the promise of it would have some parallel to those practices as well. And here are a few of them. Normally, the first thing that would happen, of course, in a wedding tradition would be the betrothal. The prospective groom would take the initiative and negotiate the dowry price to pay, uh, to pay to the bride's family. And then from that point, she would be known as one who was bought with a price, which distinguished her as an engaged woman. Now, if you're familiar, that might ring a bell. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we too have been purchased and bought with a price, that price being the blood of Jesus. And that's partly why the church or the people of God, we are often referred to as the bride of Christ. Now, once the groom had, had paid the price, the marriage covenant was publicly acknowledged. And the bride and groom wouldn't live together yet until they were officially married at the ceremony. But as a symbol of their, of their covenant, they would share a cup of wine. The groom would pour it in a cup and take a sip and then offer it to the bride. And if she accepted it, she would drink from the cup and the groom would say, I will not drink from the fruit of the vine until I drink it with you in my father's house. Now that sounds a lot like what Jesus said at the end of the Last Supper in Matthew 26. Then what would happen is the groom would return to his father's house. For about 12 months or, or a year, the bride and the groom would be separated. Well, the groom spent time constructing an attachment or an addition to his father's house. He would build literally a place attached to his father's house for the couple to live in when they were married. This ties into what Jesus said in our passage today about leaving to prepare a room for us. And while that was happening, the bride and groom would be apart and the bride would spend time preparing her dress and essentially keeping herself ready for the groom's return, keeping herself faithful and ready. That was really her only job in the wedding preparations. And then the groom's father would decide when the wedding would take place. And only the father knew when the time would be right because he had to be prepared to feed everyone who would, who would be coming to this feast and the, the week-long wedding reception. And so the wedding announcement would be made by the father to his son. And then the groom would travel back to his bride's house. And as the son went to retrieve his bride, trumpets 
would be blown, lamps would be lit. And while the bride would be expecting her groom to come back, she wouldn't know the exact time, so she always had to be ready. So likewise, if we extend this analogy to us, we also must be ready and not fall asleep spiritually and stay faithful and prepared for Jesus because we don't know when he's coming back to take us to this place. And the groom would pick up his bride and take her to the father's house. She'd be escorted to her new home. And then there would be a week-long celebration for seven days. I think if we think about Jesus' promise in light of this, we can kind of see what's going on here. And this time that we're living in now, when we have all of these stresses of life and sometimes it it feels like there is no direction and we feel like maybe Jesus or or God has forgotten about us or we we can't see them or, or feel them sometimes. Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. Our job while we're waiting is to simply stay ready. Stay faithful to him and wait for him to come back and take us to that place. Now, if we receive the promise of of the rest that Jesus gives us, the promise of, of the reservation in his father's house and his promise to come back for us, there's one more promise that Jesus makes in our passage today, and that's a relationship with him. But he does it in an interesting way. In verse 4, Jesus said, You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas spoke up for the rest of the, of the timid team that was perhaps too afraid to speak up for themselves. And Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Now, Thomas, interestingly, often he gets a bad rap. He gets a bad rap for doubting Jesus and asking questions. You've ever heard the term doubting Thomas? It comes from this guy. But I see Thomas as one who was willing to dialogue with Jesus about his doubts. He wasn't afraid to ask questions when he had doubts. And we shouldn't be afraid to either. Then in verse 6, Jesus answered Thomas's question. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other plan that we need to follow, no other map, no other direction, no plan but the person of Jesus. There's no way to get to heaven unless we go through him. We can't get there in some roundabout way. Now, Jesus is very inclusive in the sense that everyone is invited. Everyone is invited into a relationship with him. As John chapter 6, 37 tells us, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. But his claims are also very exclusive in that there is no other way to heaven except through him. And this, I think, is where the directness of Jesus comes in, where Jesus gives us a straight path instead of a a circular roundabout. 
He says, while answering all of life's questions, that he is the only way. Jesus doesn't offer us a a recipe or just a bunch of rules and, and rituals to follow. Instead, he gives us a relationship with him. His entire plan for us is wrapped up in his person. I once uh, heard a pastor say it this way, without the way, there is no going. Without the truth, there is no knowing. And without the life, there is no growing. There's only one avenue to salvation. And with Christ removed, we don't know where we're going. We don't have a way to get there. And we can't grow along the way. It's only with Christ that we do all of those things. So Jesus, right now, is preparing a place for you. Not only that, but he is coming back. So the question for us today is, are you ready for him to come back? Are you ready to come to him when he arrives and lay everything down at his feet when he does. We don't want to be left behind uh, when he comes back. And because Jesus is always faithful to his promises, we, we have to be ready for that to happen. I think really in, in all of life, in, in all of our stressful situations, in, in our times when um, we're riding high and everything is going great, no matter where we find ourselves day to day, week to week, I think we're, we're all traveling. And I think we, we can agree that as we go through life, we want to go somewhere. We don't want to stick in a circle and keep going around and around and around. I think sometimes it's easy to do that. It's easy in life to just keep driving without a sense of direction or, or knowing where we're headed. Without a plan, sometimes our experiences can be exciting and sometimes they can be excruciating. But either way, we're we're not really going anywhere when we're going in a circle. I think what Jesus gives us in, in this passage and in all of his teachings to us and in his relationship with us is that he gives us a direction for our lives. If you're going to take any kind of trip, you, you need to have a plan, you need to get ready, and then you need to have a sense of where you're going. Otherwise, you just get stuck in a roundabout. Jesus gives us all of those things. He gives us a sense of where we're going, and he gives us a plan and, and a method to get there, that being alongside him. And so that's why I think We do what we do. That's why we meet together weekly and more than weekly, why we do small groups and community events together and all kinds of things is because we want to stay ready. So I'm hoping that if you're watching this and maybe you're thinking, well, I'm not quite ready for him to come back. I don't know what being ready means. I want you to see this as an invitation, an invitation to get ready, an invitation to prepare for Jesus 
for him to come back because he is preparing a place for you right now, no matter where you are at in your life, that's where Jesus is. He's preparing a place for you to go to and he's going to come back and take you there. But do you feel ready for him to do that? I'll invite you to, to pray with me today. Lord Jesus, I, I thank you for your direction in life and that in the midst of whatever's going on in my life that I can always refocus by pointing toward you. Even, even more than that, Jesus, I thank you that your direction for me is not just is not just rules, it's not just traditions or ceremonies, but that your direction is is, is you, it's your, your person, it's a relationship with you. And Father, I just ask that for for all of us, for, for everyone watching this, for, for myself, God, that as we try to remain faithful and, and ready for you to come back, just ask that you will give us your your rest that you've promised. We'll prepare that place for us. And I ask that you you come back soon. I just thank you for your gifts to us, your, your promises to us. And I ask that you'll give us the courage and the strength to journey through life with you, to point ourselves in, in your direction each and every day. I ask this in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. And I hope as you finish watching this, that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that the, the love of God our Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit will be with you all. Amen. today. We hope that you were encouraged by what you just heard. Just so you know a little bit more about who we are, hashtag for Paris, our church is about creating a culture that shows people that we are for them and for our local community. Jesus invites us to experience a meaningful life with him and others. So we meet every Sunday morning in person at the Paris Presbyterian Church at 1030 a.m. and throughout the week in various home groups and pubs here in Paris. It is here that we experience authentic relationships and we grow deep in our faith journeys together. If you would like to connect with us further, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And it is here that you can find links to any of our other audio and video podcasts, sermons, and you can track with what's happening with us each month. Please go straight to our website for more information now about our home groups and how you can get involved. Our website is parispresb.ca. Yes, that's right, parispresb, P-R-E-S-B dot C-A. And it's there that you can share our links with your friends, family, and neighbors. Uh, we have friends from around the world who connect in with us online on a regular basis. And so lastly, please feel free to email me and get connected directly. I would love to chat with you. My email is leah at parispres.ca, and I'll get back, right back to you. So that's all we have for now. Thanks again for joining, and we'll see you again next week. Bye for now, everyone.